You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What is your relationship to time? Do you use it well? Or does it use you up? Are you time's master or its slave? Hello, storytellers, and welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life where you will learn two powerful related skills to grow and transform your life and business. One, you'll learn how to change the inner narratives that rob you of your power and replace them with narratives that make you unstoppable. And two, you will learn the storytelling techniques that will make all your marketing and sales messages irresistible. One of the best ways to change your story is to read great books. Our sponsor is Audible, and they're offering you, as listeners to this show, a downloadable free audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audible.com trial.com forward slash story power and choose your free audiobook today. Also go to www.changeyourstorypodcast.com and on the home page, download the book that I have created as a gift for you, the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. I heard a mind-expanding thought from an exceptional marketer, Alex Mandosian. He said, you can't get what you don't give away. If you're here and getting value from this podcast, give yourself the gift of giving that value away to others. Go to Change Your Story, Change Your Life on iTunes and leave a brief review which can be a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode and add a five-star rating. This will help the show to climb the iTunes ranks and reach more people. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest wrestled with these two questions and he won. Am I time's master or am I time's slave? He gives you the answers in his upcoming book, The Time Cleanse, A Proven System to Eliminate Wasted Time, Realize Your Full Potential, and Reinvest in What Matters Most. For over 25 years, he's been the trusted advisor and coach to successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, executives, professional and Olympic athletes, entertainment professionals, and organizations helping them perform at their optimal level. You're in for a good time with Stephen Griffith, who'll reveal how to master your time and take your performance to a whole new level. Stephen, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. 
Lewis, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, my friend. I love to find out from successful people who influenced, well, even unsuccessful people, (laughs) who influenced you the most when you were a child. You know, uh, writing this book is is really interesting that, um, you know, I always admired my mom. Um, but in the, in the book writing itself, you know, the influence that I, I realized that she gave me was her, her grit and, uh, that grit, um, was demonstrated by her raising me and my brother, uh, basically on her own. And, um, yeah, it's my mom. Wow. Okay. Sounds great. Um, now did you have a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, I, I did, Lewis. It was, uh, was very clear at 13 years old, you know, my, my focus, my goal, my mission was to be a professional athlete and specifically a football player. I was 13. I remember making that decision. And that's where I focused every minute of time once I made that decision. Until? Until. <laughs> <laughs> the story, the plot thickens. Um, well, you know, until... I had my first hamstring tear. I got a division one scholarship, uh, out of high school. I went to a junior college, built myself up and, uh, in front of, uh, you know, it started, you know, first of all, before I got my scholarship, I tore my hamstring in front of a stands, uh, filled with, um, scouts. And, uh, I still, I got that division one scholarship. And on the first day of spring practice, um, I tore my hamstring again and I transferred schools uh, built myself back up, rehabbed, and in front of pro scouts uh, on my senior year timing day, I tore it again. And uh, that was the end of my uh, professional athletic dream. Why Why did that happen to you, do you think, three times? Do you know? Um, you know, uh, later on in life, you know, I did more and more research. I had I ended up having a back surgery after all of that, and there was probably some issues with my back and, and the nerves going to the hamstring. Um, that, that was the best um, best uh, information that I could really find out about what happened. And uh, I also believe that, you know, the universe has its, uh, its direction for you. And uh, time was passing me by with each and every injury, and I wasn't paying attention to it. Well, I like what you just said, because these are tests that we get, and some people crumble and become bitter, and they basically give up, and others grow and find new direction. As a matter of fact, I was going to open this this show, not with the question which I decided to use, because it's so relevant to what you do, but with a wonderful, funny, but thought-provoking quote from Yogi Berra, um, that says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. that happened to you. You took some interesting forks in the road. Now, you also became a golden glove boxer, didn't you? I, I did, you know, uh, growing up. Um, you know, it's all tied together, Lewis, as as our stories, you know, have the, the connection to many things. But the reality was growing up, you know, I had very low self-esteem. We grew up in a, a lower income neighborhood. Um, we're on food stamps, housing support and athletics and being powerful um, made me feel better. And that's what I put my energy in, because quite frankly, my self-esteem was so low that that was the only thing that made me feel whole. 
And so I had a lot of anger growing up and frustration. And so when I turned 18, um, my mom wouldn't let me box until I turned 18. And then when I turned 18, I went to the local gym in the suburbs of Chicago um, and met one of you know my lifetime mentors, Tom Delaney, my boxing coach. And I talk about him in the story about the power of his relationship and the importance and the commitment of time to relationships. But that's that was the beginning of my boxing journey. And he helped me uh, tremendously uh, grow as a man. And the biggest thing was he saw my potential. And he knew how to use time in the most effective way to develop and craft me to be the best boxer I could be. I got to two Golden Glove finals, and then I won the state championship in a short amount of time. But the thing about Tom Delaney is um, he was a great boxing coach, but Lewis, he was that that held in comparison to the amazing human being he was. He was always in my corner, inside and out out of the ring, no matter what. Wow, you just impressed my cat. (laughs) <laughs> who, who, who has, she, she wants to be a fighter but she's afraid to go outside so you know right. that's where a, anyway uh wow that's fascinating so did you intend at some point to continue and maybe go all the way with boxing yeah so you know you asked me you know you know about the hamstring and about my athletic career so the, the injuries didn't actually end there so after my football dreams um, ended, uh, I was a pretty good boxer. I mean, I had some really good success, and I was doing it part-time in between football seasons. So I decided, you know, I'm going to start training to be a professional boxer. And so I moved to Los Angeles and started training with, you know, different fighters. I was training with Tyrell Biggs, who was the Olympic champion. And in one of those sessions, I kind of felt this twinge in my back, which led to a back surgery about a year later. And that's when the final straw, you know, literally broke the camel's back. And then I was done pursuing that. But I kept kept pursuing, you know, this athletic world. You know, that's where I wanted to be. Um, and that's what I felt like made me whole. And, you know, my journey took me many different places after that. And I realized that was just a blind spot I was in. It was a place where I was wasting a tremendous amount of time. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Pushkin's loving that. Pushkin's loving this, man. I mean, she's, you got her fired up here. <laughs> yes. Like, indeed. Um, so I'm fascinated. Now, how did you suddenly, how did you make a transition to the expertise that you have today? So once my athletic career ended, I opened up a training facility in Los Angeles. It was one of the first uh training facilities for elite and junior athletes and specialized personal training. This was uh, in 1990. And I did that for 10 years. And in that process, really learning about the psychological and the mental aspects of training and performance, I started reaching out and training with different areas of psychology and communication and performance. And after 10 years of using a lot of tools that I developed, I started my company, High Performance Coaching, and started working with executives, entrepreneurs, um, business owners and teams in a place of improving their personal and business performance. And that's what I've been doing now going on 19 years. What I love about that is that it's just such a, a natural development. It's an, you know, an evolution, like the, the step you made to become a personal trainer was connected to your love and knowledge of athletics. And then there, of course, well, how do we get athletes to perform better? <laughs> that's, you know, it's logical. Now, were you always a master of your time or were you ever a slave to time? You know, like most people, I was a slave. <clears throat> and my philosophy 
was to work harder than anyone else, to hustle and to grind it out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's how I was successful. And as I got older, I was realizing, wow, I can't have that same willpower to get things done. And then as I was working with corporate clients, individual clients, about five years ago, in one week, Lewis, it was literally in one week, every single engagement I had, their biggest challenge was time. I don't have enough time. I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm stressed out. I just don't have enough time to get everything done. And I took a step back. I remember that week and said to myself, I need to fix this. I, I'm, ha I'm having the same issues. I'm having the same challenges. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden we're in this world with technology that's altered how we're, how we're operating. So I spent five years, which was the um, development of the time cleanse, from working with Buddhist monks in Thailand and Japan to looking at neuroscientists, research, mindfulness, even Einstein's theories. And what I realized in that, in that research and the development of time cleanse is that people had an adversarial relationship with time and were not using time strategically to perform with and that there was a tremendous amount of toxins now in our life that were never there before, really because of how we've advanced through technology. Mm, I love it. I, I agree with you. I think that the technological explosion is exciting, but most people are not ready for the interesting adjustments that they're going to have to make to deal with it, to, to, to really take full advantage of what it offers, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I feel it. I mean, I feel it in my life as well. Um, are you finding that people are getting more and more quickly overwhelmed these days? Yeah, so so the the, ch the biggest challenge with us is this, is that most people, and, and this is what I'm bringing out with the time cleanse in the book, is that they haven't, created a positive relationship with time and this is the key to the challenge one of the keys is that they've been just like i was um, trained and led to believe that time is some kind of outside factor so you'll hear people say things like if time allows if my schedule allows and when people say that now when i work with them i ask them whose time mm -hmm. who is that mm -hmm. and it's and it's that it's that moment where we're like just like myself we never actually think and people laugh or they, 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 they're frozen. And the reality is we are time. And once we embrace and own that by our yeses and nos, by what's important to us, that we direct our time, it comes from us and it's actually abundant. But when we own it like that, there's a beautiful thing that happens. Time pressure goes away. And that's the big difference between time management and time performance, which is what my philosophy is, that when you're working with time management, you're not addressing the issue of the relationship. So you have a set amount of time, time is looked at as scarce, and you have to get the most out of it. That mindset creates time pressure. And we know from the research that when you have time pressure, your performance drops, cortisol raises, and now we're stressed out. Mm. I love what you just said before. We are time. I never thought of that. But yeah, I can see that. And because every single breath that we take, we're, we're changing and we're moving. Absolutely. You know, time for me, time is the essence of, of life. It's everything you will do, be, or have. And when you look at our lives, we've been hypnotized 
through technology and other things in her fast-paced world to not stop mm-hmm. and actually be present and go, am I doing the right things with my time in the right way? Or is there a better way? But it's the free choice that's being eliminated for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they feel guilty. They feel, oh, I'm slacking off. I've, I, one of the worst uh, words or phrases for me is, I have to. I have to. Yes. When I start, Power. when I start responding to that, I just feel awful, and I want to. I get angry. I get frustrated. I feel tension in my body. You know, right. it's it can't. It, for me, it has to be. I want to. I choose to, but not. I have to. I have to. That's that, that, that's a that's a really great point because it relates directly to time, right? Like, so if I have to do this related to time, now we have. Um, a struggle exactly exactly instead of embracing our most important relationship and let it become our ally let it be something that is our supporter to getting what we want wow can you kind of describe briefly your transition from behavior that was not a good use of time to changing it where you became harmonious with it like a couple of things that are specific like what sure what does it look like sure so one of the things that also write about in the book is getting really clear what was important to me you know when i first started this journey and and in the different phases of my careers you know i was really operating on emotions oh the shiny object over there i'm going to go help that person i'm going to create this program and i never really stopped to say okay what are my priorities so establishing what are my values now is very clear. Understanding here are my values. So values determine where we put our time, energy, and effort. So having clear values, they become our GPS. And they're also um, looking at setting clear goals. And here's the biggest difference. Now intentions behind the goals. And what most people don't really look at is that goals are future-oriented in time. So for a lot of people, goals are not very effective. We've got to set them. We know that when we set them, we write them down, we're more effective. But intentions are, are present orientated with time. And so if we have a goal, for example, of increasing our sales, say 10% in our quarter, the intention for the day has to be set. My intention for today is to make five calls, to go through my Rolodex, whatever that might be, and be positive, upbeat, and charming on my calls. Okay, that's an intention for today in time that connects to the future-orientated goal. And that's a big difference for me. One of the last things I'll share that is a huge shift in performing with time, that is um, doing intervals. And what intervals are is work-rest-work-rest ratio. So I use a 55-minute work and a seven to 10 minute rest period. That interval without distraction, shutting all notifications off, can massively three, five, 10x, 12x your performance in an hour. And so those are a couple things that are different now in my philosophy and how my life looks. It's very clear, it's very structured. And even in the structure, there's an old saying, you know, structure allows spontaneity. No structure creates chaos. Hmm. And, and so having structure actually allows spontaneity. You know, the spaces between what you're doing are just as important, was just as important as what you're doing because the recovery needs to happen for 
us to be really expansive, to be creative, have our full cognitive function. I love it. I love it. You're familiar with Brendan Burchard, eh? Absolutely. I love that one of the things he suggests doing when he finishes an activity, he actually stops and he starts to focus on these words, on this word, release, 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 to allow him to make the transition into the next thing that he's chosen to do. Now, may I make a comment about intentions? Because I'm very passionate about this. Absolutely. I'm a professional actor. I've taught actors. I don't know if you know this, but at the heart of any scene, when I used to direct actors in scenes and look and analyze their scene work, a scene will be clear and strong if the actor has made a very strong, clear choice about his or her intention. If the intention is not defined, they wander through the scene just kind of saying lines that don't mean anything. Mm, that's beautiful. Isn't it? And, and, yep. and we define it, what, what is your intention is, what are you fighting for? Mm, love that. What do you want to, how, do, how would you like this scene to end? What do you see regardless of what the playwright has written? I love that, Lewis. Love that. Yeah. It's fun. It's all related. I mean, I'm, anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I love what you're sharing here. So what is the biggest stumbling block that people hit that leads to wasting time? It comes down to the starting point of not being clear on what they truly want. Like you just said, what are you fighting for? You see, what's happened is we're not choosing. We're not taking the time to stop. And ask ourselves, what is it I truly want? And, you know, so that's that's a, one of the biggest stumbling blocks. And then, not as I talked before, about not having that positive relationship with time and owning it. See, once you own it, then you've got to be clear about protecting it. It's not like a one-time deal. You don't take one shower in your life. you got to keep taking showers. And so the stumbling block people that waste time is that they're not clear on their intention and they're not owning time and having that positive relationship. When you do that, now you're in charge. Now you're in the driver's seat going exactly where you want with accelerated speed. Mm. Can you name some really outdated time management strategies that are being used today? (laughs) Well, one of them, I'll just, I'll I'll toss one out there right now is, you know, inbox zero, you know, there's a philosophy and a lot of time management to zero, zero your inbox. It's a bad idea. That inbox is going to just keep going. It's going to keep growing. The better idea is have a strategy of how you handle email, the priority emails that you're going to take care of at a specific, specific set time. There are emails that we, all of us never get to. That's the reality of it, whatever that is. And so, you know, that's one big thing, but really going back to this whole thing about time management versus performance, the strategy of let me get as much as I can get done in an hour is completely outdated when you just look at it at at the face of value of that because it creates scarcity. It creates pressure. So when people are thinking, I've got to get the most I can out of this hour and not connected to the bigger picture of performance, being present in the moment, all of a sudden – you know, the time pressure's up Mm. and people get fatigued and they get stressed out. And that's why if you, one of the interesting facts I write in the book is that time 
is the number one self-help phrase searched on Google in front of fitness, sex, and money. Wow. By about a four to one. Wow, I never knew that. Number, uh, yes. number one search. Yep, for wow. self-help. Well, self-help I can understand, but sex? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was like, is this right? <laughs> it depends who's searching here. <laughs> right, right. That's great, man. That's great. Search on Google. I love that. Now, this is a favorite one for me. How is digital technology changing our relationship to time? And I mean, this could be the topic of a six-hour talk, but, you know, give me some of the just most, the yeah, things absolutely. that stand out, things that stand Lu- out. But, Lewis, you're going to have to put your seatbelt on because this is, this, is, uh, this is a big deal. So we look at our lives today. Um, technology used right is the greatest tool for for connection uh, performance and a greater life used right now the dark side of that is this is that it's putting us on this 24 7 wheel where we're not stopping as we've talked about before to be present in the moment so one of the philosophies that I share uh, in the book is the philosophy of timefulness and timefulness is my philosophy about being present in the moment improving the quality, experience, and performance with your time. That's a philosophy. And when we look at that philosophy in relationship to technology is that we have to be in charge of our technology because the other thing about technology, Lewis, is this. It's choosing for us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this again. It's choosing for us. Mm-hmm. And when, we, when things are being chosen for us, we become passive. And I talk about a thing called learned helplessness that Martin Seligman coined. And learned helplessness is we get conditioned not to choose, Mm. not to choose. Mm -hmm. And so our devices are directing us. And, you know, it's common knowledge that every one of the big tech firms have hundreds of of neuroscientists that are working on the devices to now influence our time, energy, and focus. One piece of research in the book that I I was fascinated when I saw it, I put it in the book, they hooked up a monitor on a hundred or so people on their phones and they followed them for a week. And they found that the average person in that group touched, swiped, clicked, looked, felt 2,600 times in a day with their phone. <laughs> 2,600 times. So it's stopping us from thinking for ourselves. Um, and, you know, I love the story of Napoleon Hill uh, in his book, Outwitting the Devil. And in his book, you know, he has a conversation with the devil and he asks the devil, you know, how do you, the, how do you get control of people? And the devil had to tell him. And the devil said, well, you know, 99 out of 100 people don't think for themselves. So I have them think what I want them to think. I know exactly what their weak spot is. It's food, it's sex, it's overwork, it's sleeping. So he said, I just give them that because they're not thinking for themselves. And then I get them drifting off course. So Napoleon Hill says, well, how do we outwit you? And once again, you know, devil had to tell him and the devil said, I don't want to tell you this, but here's the truth. Start thinking for yourself and have a single (laughs) focus and I can't touch you. Mm, I love it. I have that book on audio. Yeah, it's a fabulous book. It is. You know that he was, uh, he had to actually hide from society for a while because they were threats on his life. 
Yes, yes. Well, it's why I think one of the reasons why that book wasn't published too many years after he passed away. I know, I know. It's it's quite. Everybody, get that book, Napoleon Hill. Who's Napoleon Hill? He wrote a little thing called Think and Grow Rich, <laughs> and uh, outwitting the devil. It's and if you can get it on audio, it'll spook you because the guy who does the devil's voice is awesome. Right. It's very very strong. Oh man, this is great stuff. So. What are the most common excuses that people have for, you know, not dealing with their time well? Well, it's it's kind of funny. It's actually time itself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't have I time. Mean, yeah. I mean, really, when you when you think about that, it's really time. It's, so that's the excuse, right? So it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you wake up and tell yourself, I'm tired, we all know what happens. We stay tired the whole day. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you woke up. And you felt like there was no food. I mean, just think about that. You'd be starving. You'd be worried. You'd be stressed out. You'd be, be thinking about it all day. That's what people are doing with time. And, and one of the easiest and simple um, suggestions that I make is this. Go on a time excuse diet. Go yeah. on a time excuse diet. Mm. Just stop using time as the reason why you're not doing, having, or being. And take responsibility for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing once we do that, we get back in the in charge state, not the victim state, the in charge state of our time. I love that. Now, you talk about major time toxins. Can you just name the major ones that you reveal in the book? Sure, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about technology, but here's kind of the, the secret to this. Anything in our lives can be toxic anything if we're doing it too much if we're doing it during the wrong time or we have the wrong relationship with it Mm -hmm. so anything but you know like i love netflix right love big movie guy love the stories netflix is super enjoyable for me but if i binge or four or five hours on that at night and i miss my sleep and i start my next day that's toxic Mm -hmm. i love i love staying connected with my friends and family facetime texting all those things if i'm doing that in prime work time in my day it's toxic if i'm with friends that are negative or people around me that are negative that are bringing me down that's toxic and so you know when we look at our life you know i use what's called my time cleanse question. A lot of people call me the, the uh, 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 Marie Kondo of time. And um, it's a simple question is, does this activity person place thing, mental thought, is it contributing or contaminating to my happiness and success? That's the time cleanse question. It's very simple. And then in determining that, then you accept, reject or remove it. And that is how we reclaim time. That's the simple process of looking at everything you do and asking that question. It's a pretty simple question. And that's the beauty and the uniqueness about the time cleanse. It's creating a structure for individuals and organizations and people to really stop, be present in the moment and ask those questions. And, you know, my experience now Uh, with thousands of engagements is that the average person will get up to 20 hours or more of reclaimed time back by doing that process. And then the beauty of it is, is what I, what I talk about is, is then 
taking that time, Lewis, and then reinvesting in what I call high ROT activities, return on time activities, and really looking at where do I get the most bang for my buck, either in relationship, connection, business development, and that's where their reinvestment goes. Mm. Could you slowly repeat the question again? Sure. So the, the time cleanse question? Yeah. Yes. So is this contributing or contaminating to my happiness and success? Mm-hmm. And that would be this event, this activity, this person, etc. That's correct. And mm. that's in the book, we, we do a time cleanse, a, a personal time cleanse, and then a business time cleanse. So we look at every single activity that you're engaged in. And then we ask that question. And then I have a process what to do with the contaminants. Nice. There's a couple different things we can do with them, but we first have to identify them. And then in that process, then we start reclaiming time. It's beautiful. Now, if, you, if we apply your system to sales, how can people 12X their results? Well, I'm going um, to share a story that really illuminates this because it's a case study in the book. Um, it's a client of mine. His name's Charles and he is a, uh, a high end real estate professional here in Los Angeles, been in the game about 30 years. So he's done it all. And he came to me, um, third quarter way off his goals. He was like at 10% of his goals. He had some health issues and he was super, you know, frustrated. He had to really catch up. And, and I said to him, my friend, we've got to do a time cleanse on you. And this is when we were in the development phase, the developmental phase of this. And he was like, what are you talking about? I said, we got to compress time. And so what I do with all my clients is, especially with sales individuals, is I asked them this question. I said, could you do a year's worth of sales in 10 months? And he said, yes. I go, could you do it at nine? eight, seven. And I could see his anxiety rise. I said, don't worry about how you're going to do it. I'm just asking you if it's possible. And we do this to shift the mindset, the, the presupposition of how long a sale takes in time. And I got him all the way down to eight weeks. And that became his goal. 10 deals in eight weeks. Then we looked at his personal and professional life. We looked at all the activities, just as I spoke about, and decided what's contributing and contaminating. And there's a couple key things that were really contaminating. He spent time at the coffee shop across the street and prime work hours, and we get caught up in these extensive conversations. We completely cut that out. He was a Netflix binger. He liked to do a lot of errands. So we got all these toxic, toxic activities. He was a big gossiper. And we took all his time communicating with clients that weren't the right productive ones and gave it to his assistant. Hmm. So we reclaimed about 27 hours in his day. And so I asked him, what is the activity, the two activities that you need to spend the most time on? He said 10 by 10. That means 10 calls before 10 a.m. for sales contacts. And then finding properties, pocket listings and other listings for my clients that already have raised their hand, say, I'm buying. And so we started doing that, and immediately, Lewis, immediately, all the toxic stuff went away, and he became laser-focused. Also got him meditating in the morning and preparing his day correctly and, and got him sleeping because part of what I coach 
and teach in the time cleanse is once you get your time back, then how do you perform with it? And so a lot of these tools I was teaching him, the timefulness, the meditation, eight weeks later, his 10th deal closed. It was the, it was the greatest amount of sales he'd ever done in a quarter, went on to then have his greatest year that he ever had in 30 years wow. because he became very focused and started using these tools and got rid of the toxic activity and no longer was under time pressure. No longer under time pressure. I love that. One thing, explain the math to me. You said he reclaimed 27 hours in a day. I mean, no, no, that's how do you a week. do that? That's a, that's a week. Yeah. That's a week. I I mean, that, because then I say, not only are you good, but you're a magician. <laughs> it's fantastic. I said, I want to know how to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. 27 in a week. Okay. Yeah. Wow, I can breathe easily now. <laughs> like, wow, this is, we just went to the third dimension. Oh, I, listen, I've been living there for decades. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I think it's all the pot I smoked when I was in my 20s. Yeah, oh, It's all, all good. Yes, it is. <laughs> How can people increase their product? Well, I think you kind of just said that. How can they increase their productivity and have more free time? You did kind of answer that. Unless you want. Yeah, well, well, I'll add to that part, a couple things. Technically, I'm going to give you, your listeners, some some real tools they can start using right now. So implement the the work rest interval. Super important. And when you do that, completely shut off all notifications, all the notifications. Shut off your phone if you don't have to use it, and just get focused on your single single tasks. Um, that's really important. Cluster similar activities. So if you're going to respond to emails, do all emails. You're going to do sales calls, do all sales calls. So the brain likes similarities, and it will create efficiencies. That's super important. And then after a couple rounds of the rest, or the work rest intervals, then take a 30-minute break. Just take that break and let yourself recover. Um, a couple other environmental things, back to uh, Marie Kondo. The other thing is make sure your work environment is cleansed of toxic visual things, toxic food, um, you know, I go into corporation executives office all the time and I, and I ask them, I said, is, do you think your environment is contributing or contaminating? And then back to, to, uh, Marie Kondo's is, you know, are, are the things around you bringing you joy? And once we clean up the environment as well as one of the things that I discovered in the research is noise, noise can be a big killer of productivity in the work environment. So, Getting some noise-canceling headsets, getting a, get in a quiet environment can also improve your performance. So those are a couple tools right now that can help um, your listeners start performing at a higher level. Yeah, I love that. Um, uh, I know how important it is. I just recently, actually last weekend, made a decision that I allowed my, my office space to get too much stuff, clutter accumulated in it, and it always slowed me down and now uh, at least now we're in the, into Wednesday it, it's still been kind of zen and it makes a difference big difference right. you know now what do you say to people who rebel against structure and schedules and you're talking to one of them right here now so so we all have our own way we deal with time we have our own way. So uh, in the book, I identify two time types. One is the watchdog, and the watchdog is very structured on time, very organized, very schedule-oriented, and they value time at a super high level, 
and I mean, time, everything schedule. Then we have the lounger, the time lounger. And the time lounger is a person that's more connected to the present moment in time. Schedules and structure are not as important. So we have these two different time types. And I work with both of them. But here's the reality. We all have a schedule. We all have structure. It's just at what level. And so the tools, the techniques, and tactics that I coach, they, they're implemented for, for everyone. But the question becomes this. If you're a watchdog or a lounger, do you want to be more connected? Do you want to be more engaged in your purpose? And the people that I work with, the answer is yes. So it's, it's the style that we engage these tools and tactics in. But at the end of the day, you know, we want to implement it how it best works for us personally and to look at the benefit. So, you know, loungers that are super unstructured, you know, maybe we tighten up the, the structure and the scheduling 10 or 20 percent. Maybe that's the sweet spot for the watchdogs. Maybe we loosen it up 10 or 20 percent so they get in that flow state. So they're 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 in the flow of time that's most beneficial. Hmm. I love that. It's great. Now, is there one most important first step a person should take to break time-wasting habits, like above all else? Um, I think if there's one, is we, we mentioned it before, is to go on a time-excuse diet. Ah, uh, yeah, time-excuse I think diet. I think if we look collectively at everything, and there's so many great things that an individual can do now with this technology, is... Um, to stop using time as an excuse. Choose it. I'm choosing to do it or not do it. And get really good at saying no to stuff. Mm. Get really good at saying no. I have a whole section in the book of teaching people how to say no. Like phrases to use, how to practice that. Because <laughs> it's interesting. Our default for a lot of people is yes. Yeah, I'll, okay, I'll do that. But I, I tell everyone this. Your no to an outside request is a yes to you ah that's great yeah mm-hmm. now how did you become known as the velvet hammer <laughs> <laughs> oh your 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 listeners are hearing all the secrets now <laughs> uh well many, many you know i'm a i'm a big guy you know i'm six five about 245 and you know boxer football player all that stuff um but i'm also an avid meditator um, have been for many years, part of what I teach. Um, so I ha- was named this, you know, if you look at a hammer, an actual physical hammer, you know, you have the brute force of a hammer and then you have the gentleness of velvet over it. And so my style is very direct and, you know, it's direct f- to help people to, to get, help them get out of their pain, out of their suffering, get what they want. But I'm also, you know, compassionate in that process. So, the direct um, telling people what they need to hear in this compassionate way is the metaphor of the hammer and the velvet. Yeah, I like that, yeah. I mean, I, I can hear it. I can hear it in your tone, actually. Actually, you have a velvety voice, which is great. Thank you. Thank you. you know? um, do you believe that morning and evening rituals are crucial to productivity? Only if you want to be your full potential. <laughs> <laughs> so... How we start our day, 
um, if you're an early bird or a night owl, if you get up early or get up a little later, the research shows, you know, getting up early or later is very individual. Um, but that how you start your day sets the intention. And for me, what I've seen with high performers with myself and, and, you know, the multiple thousands that I've worked with now is that when we start our day with intention and direction of what we want to accomplish. So we're looking at what I call our three top priorities with the three intentions behind that. And then some time for self-reflection. That could be prayer. That could be contemplation. That could be note-taking. could be meditation in my case. We set the ship on the right course. And unfortunately, most people don't do that. They get up and you know, they willy nilly it. They're just going for whatever's in front of them. But once we put our brain in rituals, it gives us more horsepower to make decisions on other things. You know, when Obama was in office, you know, they'd ask him, you know, why do you wear, why do you always wear a gray or a blue suit? And he said, man, I've got to make decisions for the world. I don't want to have to be deciding on 18 different colors for my suit. (laughs) That's very smart answer. Yeah. So the, and the evening ritual, same thing, recovering. So mm-hmm. we, I break the day down into before, during, and after. So before it gets you ready, during is your performance time, after is your recovery. And so the recovery is very important. That's decompressing from the day. That's reviewing you know, what went well, what you were grateful for, what are the changes for the next day, setting your intentions, and then getting the proper amount of rest. Sleep is absolutely important for performance with time. My biggest challenge is the after. I uh, I resent when I going to bed early. <laughs> I just do because <laughs> I have this thing in my head about you know I'm Jesus like you know I I like I can stay up till two in the morning and get up at seven. But uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, this is good stuff. You must be a fan of uh, Hal Elrod. Miracle I, I, I do like how I know how um, I was in a, a, a mastermind with him years ago. Um, but the, the one thing I do want to bring up, Louis, is that, you know, for the for the night owls, for the people that get up late, it's still the same thing. So there's there's oh, there's been a, some controversy about people that get up late or start their day late, late that don't perform as well. What time? That's not the case at all. It's just their own chronotype. Right. And, and so, you know, it's just a matter of how whatever time we get up. And for some people, I'm like you, I can sleep five, six hours, no issue. I, I don't need seven hours. Um, so, you know, and that's the other thing is you've got to know your own biology with time. Like, how do you best perform? And then utilize that for you. You know, all the tips and tools and tactics that I'm talking about, this is what I've seen work with, you know, all types of people. But my hope as the book comes out is that, um, that people take those and then customize it for themselves. Because we're all individual, beautiful, special individuals with our own unique styles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, you said unlike you, but no, I, I am because I don't need a lot of sleep. Gotcha. I, I can I can get to bed. I frequently go to bed at one in the morning and get up at six. You know, of course, if I do it every night, I'll pay a bit for it. But generally can do that but um these are great great tips and Lewis, one of the tips that I, that I give to people and they laugh when i tell them this the someone because one of the, the the things that i promote is this one hour a day of free time can change your life to a life worth living <laughs> 
if you're stressed out, if you're maxed out already, one hour back, it's all it takes. One hour of friendship, one hour of lovemaking, one hour of your favorite food, exercise, rest, investing in your business can change the course of your life. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, you know, I can't get any time back, I said, I guarantee you, I said, you don't even have to open the book up. You don't even have to train with me. They go, how do I get an hour back? I go, get up an hour early. Now, simple as that sounds, and like, you know, we're like, they're like, what? It's true. Force yourself to get up an hour early. You do that for a week or two, it'll start becoming a habit. That's an hour right there. It takes willpower, but that is something everyone can do. It's true. You remind me, uh, your thinking reminds me a lot of Dan Sullivan. You're familiar with him? Yes, yes, yes. Have yeah. you have you listened to any of his stuff? On uh, he has a new podcast now called Inside Strategic Coach. No, I, I haven't. I will though. Well, I will. I, here's what you'll love. I mean, the way he trains entrepreneurs in his coach program is to have they basically he has the same relationship. He doesn't believe in working all the time. You need to structure a lot of free time. He instructs much more than you do. I think he has them work about three or four days and they have to take certain days completely off, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's all about that relationship to time. Um, are there some people who really want to need your help that you just find you can't help? Want to need my help that I can't help. So I can help anybody that's coachable. That that really is where it's at. Now, they everyone has different styles. They're going to have different ways they do things. I've been doing this a long time. I've been coaching people in some you know way, shape, or form for you know close to thirty plus years. And when I look back, it's just a, it's it's the desire to get better and to be coachable. And if those two things are there. We'll find a way for the changes to take place. So the answer is yes. But if you're not coachable and you're not willing to look at a better way, then you know, no matter it's you're not going to get better at anything. No, no. Yeah, that's a big one, being coachable. Do you have a favorite book, Stephen, besides mm. your own? <laughs> <laughs> I have one that that is is a is a, is a strong favorite. Um, it's the book by John Kabat-Zinn, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Where, wherever You Go, There You Are? Yeah, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it's one of his early mindfulness books. And uh, I read that book maybe 10 years ago. I took that book to uh, the island of Lanai in uh, Hawaii, and I did a personal retreat. I read a, a couple chapters a day, did the practices, but it really just talks about being present in the moment. And when we look at how we improve our performance, we talked about timefulness, where I talked about timefulness is that, you know, there's a three, three-step three process, very simple. Number one is know that time comes from you. It's what I call your first three M's, your first M, mindset. Know that time comes from you. The second M is map. Know exactly what you want, that destination you want to go. And the third one is mindfulness, or in my case, timefulness, being present in the moment. And when you're present in the moment, you accelerate your performance with time. And that's one of the easiest and simple tactics today is to get present right now what you're doing. You know, Einstein has a quote um, that, I, that I share in the book. It's a minute on a hot stove feels like an hour. An hour with your beloved feels like a minute. That's relativity. Yeah, I've heard that. Change the perception. Yeah. And yeah. it's beautiful. And it costs you nothing. Absolutely. 
You know, again, we go back to acting training because the great actor has mastered the ability to stay completely in the moment. So they're not concerned about what am I going to say next? And it's that trust that allows them to just flow through a script, acting and reacting with other people. Yeah, I can hear that in the presence that you have in your, you know, really elegant interview style. You're completely present. Thank you. You, you and I right now are symbiotically present in, in unison with time. It's true. I Because I really like people. I mean, this is why I do this. And I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, learning from people. So for me, like I said, the, the questions that I have are, it's a roadmap, but you know, we'll detour as the thing develops because it's about what's happening in the moment. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for noticing that. What about a favorite quote? Favorite quote? Hmm. Here's one of my favorites. Everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. (laughs) Who said that? Well, John Lennon gets quoted, but it's actually, uh, I always say this guy, his name wrong, Paolo Coelho, Paola, Paola Coelho. Coelho. Coelho, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He wrote, wait a minute, what was the book that he wrote? It's a famous book. I'm I'm spacing that myself, but John Lennon gets quoted a lot for this, um, but it's actually him, Coelho. Oh, I'm going, I'm going to have to find out now. (laughs) If If it's not okay, it's not the end. It's such a mind, every time I just say it, it's such a double bind in such a positive way and gets our brain thinking in a different way. Oh, yeah. Now, if you could wave a magic wand, Stephen, and change just one thing in the world, only one, what would it be? It's, it's right in alignment with my message. Um, it, it really is. It's It's... It's to have people have people be present in the moment. And with that being present in the moment, love and kindness becomes who we are. Mm. It's it's pretty simple to me. I've seen it. I've seen it with every, you know, age, ethnic back it, when we're present, we become kind. Yes, yes. Coelho's book is The Alchemist. Yes, yes. We both, I mean, that's like a classic. We both space that. Yes. Well, I just looked him up and man, he's written a lot of stuff. Wow. Yeah, beautiful writer. Really? I love that you would change that. They'll be present in time. And then say that again about kindness and what? Yeah, so when we become present, we become more kind. Mm-hmm. We've, we, we, in, in that kindness, that's when love can shine. I mean, that's, you know, people ask me a lot about multitasking and, you know, these different things. And, and I said, you know, there are, there are positive ways to, to multitask. I talk about mindful multitasking in the book and, you know, how to be present when you shift from task to task. But the one thing that I learned many years ago is that when I'm present, as I'm talking about, I'm kinder. I'm just kinder. I'm more patient. And when I'm multitasking and I'm not present, I'm less kind, I'm less loving, and I'm less patient. For that fact alone, I'll stop multitasking because it's, it's, the, it's the highest level 
And when, when we're multitasking, we're training our brain not to be present. Now, when we're at the office and we're texting and emailing and doing all this stuff, that might not be a big deal. But it will be a big deal if you miss your son or daughter's most special moment at a play or recital or acting or sports or when they come to you and ask for something and you're not there because you're not present physically. Because at the end of the day, Lewis, at the end of the day, you're getting me fired up now. At the end of the day, I believe time has one major purpose and that's to create memories that matter, that made our life mean something that become our legacy. It's that simple. Wow. Alex Mandosian would call this a backpack moment. You know, yeah. what, that is? You know what that is? No, tell me what, what that connection is. You know who Mandosian is, eh? The, uh, yes. Mark, Mark, yes. Yeah, he's wonderful. I went to one of his events, and he was using that expression. He said, if you have a backpack moment, raise your hand. And it's like you suddenly get an aha that makes the entire event worth it. You could literally put your backpack on and leave. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, he says, like, let's say you get it 10 minutes into the event. You could literally go away now, and everything that you paid for this event is is covered. Man, it's like, that's it. I got my value. Well, Lewis, thanks for the beautiful gifts you're sharing with me today. I've, <laughs> I've taken some copious notes uh, <laughs> on what you've shared, so I appreciate that. Well, compete here. How many pages do you have? I have. <laughs> I'm on page six with you. <laughs> uh, so now, how can people contact you, and why should they? What do you have to offer besides this wisdom? I can't. When is your book coming out? It's coming out um, March twenty second. So right around the corner. So, um, so a couple things. So you can reach me at stephengriffith dot com, and you know, for your listeners, I've got a, a couple special things. One is uh, my download of the top 10 productivity and, and performance tips so you can maximize your performance and productivity. You can get that at stephengriffith.com forward slash change, and they'll see your logo there. Um, and for listeners that want to pre-order the book or get the book, um, I'm giving away my, my uh, master class, my online master class, eight videos where I take you step-by-step through the time cleanse it's a great little, you know, 60 minute training that will take you ha- by your hand in the time cleanse uh, process and same, same, same location, stephengriffith.com forward slash change. So you pre-order the book, you get a whole video course. Wow. That's wonderful. And oh yeah, uh, I'm going to spell it for people because some people spell Stephen with a P and you don't. Oh, that's So yeah. it's S-T-E-V-E-N-G-R-I-F. F I T H dot com. Correct? Correct. Thank you. Wonderful. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? Well, the final thought is simple. Our time is our most precious and valuable asset. And when used right, is that key to happiness, the memories that matter in our legacy. And so my my final comments are this is that own your time, be present to it, protect it. And use it for what matters most. Mm. Use it for what matters most. And my last, my last sentence that I sign off on or I complete things with this, and it's really simple. It's what I've been living my life for a long time, especially in the research of the book. And it it's, goes like this. There's only one time and it's now. There's only one direction and it's forward. Hmm. 
Thank you, man. This has been uh, this has been a high. That's what it has been. Oh, it's been a high for me because I really appreciate Lewis, and I, and I know I said it earlier is that you know you have a beautiful way to be present and ask um, really great, provocative, um, meaningful questions that you know bring out these gifts, bring out your gifts, bring out my gifts, and this this culmination of being present in unison with time. I mean, this last hour flew by. It flew by. Thank you, man. Thank you. I received that. It has definitely been fun and and enriching. Thank you, storytellers, for being part of this experience today. To help you enrich the experience even more, I've created a gift for you, an e-book called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You can get instant access to it right now by going to changeyourstorypodcast.com and downloading your free copy. Also take advantage of the gift that our sponsor, Audible, is offering to the listeners of this show. That is a free audiobook of your choice, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. In the spirit of giving, I'm going to ask you to give me a few more moments of your time by going to iTunes and in the podcast category, finding Change Your Story, Change Your Life, and where you see that you can leave a brief review and a star rating. In the review, just state what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And I hope that I've earned a five-star rating from you. When you do that, you're telling iTunes to allow the show to climb the ranks. Then more people will find it and be able to enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to the show and you're getting value from it, then subscribe while you're visiting iTunes. One final thought. Whenever you find yourself facing a decision that's hard to make, stop. Don't let your mind work hard. Just take a deep breath and then ask, how can I change my story and change my life? Then pause for a moment and allow the answer to come to you. I look forward to sharing another enriching experience with you on the next episode. You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco.